This is, this is Loose Ooze. Collected Thoughts with Keyshawn Harper. James absolutely hated Hamilton. In fact, he hated all musicals in general. He disliked the fact that every plot point had to end in a song or a dance. He cringed at the idea of someone singing what should be an internal monologue. If you gave James the option between, let's say, going to see Wicked live on Broadway or spending the night playing solitaire until his fingers bled, I'm pretty sure he'd choose the latter. So just imagine the forced smile that struggled to span from ear to ear when he found out that Tamara, a girl that he's been seeing for quite some time, told him how much she loved musicals. She, being a theater kid herself in high school, played in several different musicals, and she and her friends made it a duty to see at least one musical every year in college. But now, she's in a different city, a new city all by herself, and she's looking for people to go with. Now, James really liked Tamara, like really, really liked her, but the question was, did that fondness of her override his hatred for musicals? This was the question on his mind every time before the curtains opened for Les Mis or Hairspray or Rent, and in this case, Hamilton. Every night in theater was a painful night for James, but he endured each night, each show, with a smile. Instead of looking at the actors and the actresses, instead of watching the dances and hearing the music, he simply looked at Tamara's smile. He would imagine the joy in her eyes when she tells her friends how happy she was that she found someone to finally go to shows with, and he would smile even wider at the thought of this happening for the rest of his life. Flash forward a few years from now, James has told himself that his now wife will never know of his secret. She would never know how much these outings pained him. She would never know how much he winces at every musical. Every time she suggests one, he smiles, holds her hand as they walk into the theater. Because this makes her happy. And the smile on her face is the real show in his eyes. This story tells us something. It highlights the fact that people change, or at least appear to change, for the idea of love. Whether you agree with it or not, people put up false facades every day and do things out of character in the effort to impress those that they like. Even if it's something as small as a taste in musical theater. We see the most people say that they enjoy in a person, and that we do our best to bend and twist in order to fit that mold. And for a person like me, this is absolutely scary. Because sometimes, certain people can put us under a spell that we don't even see coming. And if I'm a person who already goes out of their way to please people who I may not even know very well, what would I be willing to do when I want to please someone who I care about? That need, that need for acceptance, that need for love, how much of an influence does it have over our behavior? How much of ourselves are we willing to change, suppress, or in some cases, sacrifice for someone else? I mean, the story you just heard may be one of those situations where it's fine, it's nothing major, but what if that love, that sacrifice, goes to someone who is undeserving, someone who would take advantage of it? I think it's only logical that we clear the air and go over something obvious. We treat people who we like very differently. Whether it's a family member asking for a favor or letting a friend cut in front of you in line, for the people we enjoy, certain rules do not apply. And this kindness isn't only shown towards people we know. 
Sometimes just liking the way a person looks can impede on your judgment and your behavior. Numerous studies have shown, better yet exposed, the connection between a person's attractiveness and criminal sentencing. It was found in three different studies that when we compare people crime for crime, people who were considered quote-unquote more attractive on average received less jail time than that of their not-so-symmetrically gifted counterparts. Why is that? I think, naturally, we want to be pleasant towards people that we like, or more importantly, people who we want to like us. Those who we consider attractive give us a dose of a good-feeling chemical known as dopamine to our brains. That's why you always want to be around your crush, you're getting that fixed. But this chemical effect of attractive people does go far beyond the mushy feelings. Some science says we find those who we are attracted to more trustworthy even. If you look at the numbers, attractive people are far more likely to land jobs, have favors done for them, and even get away with crimes. There's just something about that adorable face we can't possibly overcome. We get caught up in their allure and assume a bunch of things about them that may definitely not be true. We are more likely to believe that a person was really sorry for what they've done, or that their actions were more so of an anomaly than their actual normal behavior. The way they look, the way they make you feel, all of these things combined in your head to lead you to a single conclusion, that you want them in your life. Which leads you to the other thought that if you were somehow able to find a way to make them want to be your friend, or even more, make them want to be with you, then you would surely be able to find a way to have those continuous butterflies in your stomach. That dopamine will run through you every day. Our natural instincts wants to chase that feeling. And then observation of human behavior instructs that being nice to people is one of the best ways to achieve that feeling, to get that mate. It's safe to say that this isn't just a natural thing. We are trained as to how to behave to potential suitors. This has always been ingrained in our cultures. We can see examples of this in a widely known practice known as medieval chivalry. A term coined in the 11th century, chivalry literally means horsemanship, stemming from the French word chevalier, which meant, quote, a man of aristocratic standing and probably of noble ancestry who was capable, if called upon, of equipping himself with a war horse and the arms of heavy cavalrymen and who has been through certain rituals that make him what he is, unquote. This sounds like a mouthful, but the easiest way of explaining it is using an association. When you think of chivalry, you often associate it with knighthood. Those who chose the life of a knight had to abide by 10 commandments. Some examples of these include the love of your country, never running from an enemy, and always be a defender of justice. The main practices of chivalry can be broken into three pillars. The first is warrior chivalry, which is an abound fealty to a knight's lord, rushing to his protection at a moment's notice. Religious chivalry requires the knight to protect the innocent in the name of God. And the final chivalry is what we're interested in today, courtly love chivalry. This meant that a knight must vow to protect his lady first and foremost, while treating all other ladies with the utmost respect. Practically speaking, this can go from not letting your lady dirty her dress up when walking through the mud, all the way to fighting to the death because someone questioned her purity. In literature, there are countless fairy tales of a knight slaying a dragon in hopes of earning the princess's hand in marriage. The knights of old very much saw these acts as a duty and one that they gladly upheld. And although all men weren't knights, 
The social status that they held made it so men would emulate their behavior, even if they weren't technically a knight. In a weird way, courtly love chivalry became more about the code than the woman, which in retrospect led to issues on both sides. Perhaps because of the legalistic nature behind the acts, men forgot the intended benevolence of chivalry. And due to that lack of authenticity, women may have taken those deeds for granted. Whatever the case may be, over time, the art of chivalry was practiced less and less. When we look back at it now, with honesty, some historians thought that chivalry was merely created as a way to keep knights on some sort of a leash. As with any warrior class throughout time, Knights were known to be heavily armed and prone to violence, so creating a system that gave them parameters as to when to use such violence could have been a way to inadvertently control them. This is the same case towards women. I'm not gonna go as in depth with it because it's far more obvious and it's so more ingrained into today's culture. But from birth, women are groomed into becoming good housewives. Skills such as cooking, cleaning, and tending to children are highly valued and in a lot of cases, were the only sign of a woman's worth. This doesn't even begin to go over the different social behaviors that are taught. I'm not even a woman, but I can name you some of these things. Like, for instance, laugh at his joke even if it isn't funny. Or the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Or people's favorite, <laughs> depending on who you ask, is that you'll never get a man with that attitude. All of these statements have one thing in common. They are clearly signaling you to change things about yourself in order to appease someone else. So it's with all of this in mind, I am frustrated about a word that has been coined recently. Now, I'm not usually someone who's really up to date on trends. Trendy would not be a word that a lot of my friends would use for me. But for the sake of my profession, I do pay attention to what language is being used. And one word has popped onto my radar a few times. A word that very much so relates to love and going too far in the pursuit of it. This term is the initial spark that prompted this episode and sent me down a rabbit hole analyzing power dynamics, the need of human connection, and the tight reins that our own insecurities hold in our lives. I am talking about the term known all over the internet known as a simp. For my younger audience members, that light bulb may have already clicked, but I first want to define the term so that everyone's on the same page. To do this, we are going to use the highly scrutinized, peer-reviewed source article known as Urban Dictionary. They define simp as, quote, a man that puts himself in a subservient or submissive position under a woman in the hopes of winning them over without the female bringing anything to the table. Now, first off, we're going to eliminate whatever the sex is for the person. It doesn't matter. This could be anyone. It could be man with a man, woman with a woman, man with a woman, all that kind of stuff. The point is, it's about the people involved. I found this term interesting not necessarily because of the concept, but more so because of the conversation that's sparked by this concept. If you were to just type this on the internet, you will see dozens of videos and thousands of social media posts talking about how sad and pathetic these people are. And it led me to wonder, why? Why does this behavior happen? And why is it so loathed? And I wanna make this clear. Based on the definition, I had the same initial thoughts. I had this ugh feeling about it too. There's just something in your gut that makes you hate this idea. And as I reflected on it, I've come to believe that our anger is directed towards one or a combination of three things. First and foremost is that your anger is towards the person who's being taken advantage of. 
we might get mad at people who are obviously doing something dumb. And if you don't believe me, or you don't think you get mad, go ahead and watch a horror movie without yelling at the main character who has fallen 20 times or refuses to pick up a weapon to defend themselves. In a weird way, we are angry at people like this because we care about them to an extent. We all get the concept of wanting someone to like you. We all empathize with that. But going as far as letting someone walk all over you and the hope of them liking you, most of us won't let that fly. And when we see someone else letting that fly, it bothers us. The second object of our anger is the person who is doing the manipulation. We're upset at them for obvious reasons. Whether they realize it or not, these people are in a place of power. They know that the person likes them and they know that the person wants to be accepted by them. And the fact that they are choosing to use that power to get stuff for free is just as wrong as any other person in a place of power manipulating others around them. We just hate seeing the injustice of it. But finally, I believe we feel the most anger because we may see ourselves in both of them. There's a pretty popular saying that sums it up pretty nicely. It is said that in life you will encounter three different types of people. The first type are known as the angels. These are the wonderful people in your life that are a blessing to have. They support you through the hard times and they make the fun times that much more enjoyable. The second type of people are known as the crystal balls. Humans have not yet learned how to gaze into the future. But the next best thing is observing those around you. The bitter person at work is what your future could look like if you let your anger control you. The raging alcoholic in your friend group shows you what the future of drinking in excess can be. It shows you what your vices can do to you if you let them swallow you. Crystal balls aren't just a negative thing. There are role models in our lives that show us if we keep doing what we're doing, if we keep fighting on and do what's right, good things can happen. The crystal ball group is the largest because at the end of the day, you can learn from anyone whether it be positive or negative. But it is in this final category. It's where the people you love and you hate most in your life lie. These people are the mirrors. They are called mirrors because when you look at them, you see yourself. When you see someone who's being taken advantage of, a part of us can go back into that time where that person was us. Maybe there was a time in your life where you gave your all into something, into someone who took it for granted. Or better yet, maybe in the wisdom you have now, you are ashamed to admit it, but you have been the bad guy in the situation before. It is the mirrors who anger us most because sometimes we hate our own reflections. And I can't think of a worse reflection than losing a part of yourself for the sake of someone who cares literally nothing about who you are. It's great to be a nice person, and I like to think myself as a nice person, but it comes to a point where people have to earn it. Because trust me, people may not say no to your good deeds, but they sure as heck won't say thank you either. Our day-to-day -day lives are filled with problem after problem. We are always solving different issues and looking ahead to any robot that may appear. And sometimes a person, it may be you, comes out of nowhere to try to make that person's day a little bit easier. Maybe you do them a favor or you bring them a cup of coffee. Either way, the first time it happens, they are overjoyed and filled with gratitude. However, if you begin to do those things every day, especially if they've never shown you the same kindness, what's crazy is they may begin to expect that behavior. Over time, it's seen no longer as an act of benevolence, 
you just may become that coffee guy or that girl who always brings me stuff. The same thing goes even if you are in a relationship. The expectation of reciprocation should never go away. It may not be a forever tit for tat thing. That's because it won't feel like it because it's not because both parties want to do nice things for each other. I want to make this clear because far too often we let these types of parasitic relationships or aspiring relationships go on for far too long. Every day we drain more and more of our own batteries without being recharged ourselves and eventually a shift happens. We get to a point where we no longer care. You no longer have the energy to put into that person anymore. We become bitter. We become angry. And before you know it, someone who does care for you may come along, but you're too busy being upset about the last person to even take notice. What's worse is you may become somewhat of a monster yourself. Instead of demonstrating self-depreciating kindness to an unhealthy level, you can slide to the complete opposite side of the spectrum and display a strategic coldness that pulls down everyone around you. Because of your previous life of quote-unquote sipness, you have the ability to recognize moments where kindness is needed most. But instead, you capitalize on this vulnerability and either withhold that compassion or show maliciousness instead. And then to complete that crazy person 180, you begin to show that kindness later on your own terms, just as a tactic to prevent the person from feeling horrible enough to just leave you. The saddest part in this case is that the old you is still in there. You know what to do. You know how to be a great person. But the resentment you hold from the past, mixed with the fear of it happening again, prevents you from letting that kindness out once again. In the chase of finding that one special person, sometimes we become different people ourselves. And honestly, it may take years for you to care once again. It may take you a while to care as much as you used to. It may take what seems like forever for you to allow yourself to be vulnerable again. But eventually, I'm sure it will happen. And maybe, just maybe, you will find someone who feels the same for you. And you can show all the love you once had and you once wasted on another person. You can give it all to them. But how? How do you do that? How do we properly show love? And are there bad ways of doing it? Well, that may be a question for next time. So until then, take it easy. Hey, once again, thank you guys for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes, please do us a favor and subscribe. And after that, give us a five-star review. Also, while you're at it, like the Collected Thoughts Facebook fan page, or if you're more of an Instagram person, follow me, Keyshawn Harper, on Instagram. Thank you guys all for the love, and until next episode, take it easy.